0: Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. Before we start the show, how does the offer a free beer sound to you? Kind people at Beer52 are offering a free case of eight craft beers, sourced and curated from the best breweries on the planet. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash wisdom and cover the £5.95 postage. Each case is delivered directly to your doorstep, so there's no need to leave the house. Head to beer Fifty Two. .com for slash wisdom for that deal. You can pause or cancel your subscription at any time. Anyway, on with the show. The men's international summer ended rather abruptly on Friday morning when the fifth and final test of the England India series was cancelled just over a couple of hours before the scheduled start. We'll be discussing the cancellation, we'll be pointing fingers, working out if this really is the death of test cricket, before talking about England's T20 World Cup squad, the final England-New Zealand T20i, the latest developments in the Azeem Rafiq story, Afghanistan's possible tour of Australia, the county championship, and much more. I'm Rana. and today I'm joined by the Editor-in-Chief of Wizard Cricket Monthly, Phil Walker, the Magazine Editor of Wisden Cricket Monthly, Joe Harmon, and the Managing Editor of Wizard.com, Ben Gardner. Before I ask uh, these three about their thoughts on the Manchester Test, let's hear from Mark Butcher, who was up in Manchester on that crazy first morning. I spoke to him earlier today. Butch, it was a chaotic morning on Friday. You were there in Manchester hoping to cover the Test match for Sky. Do you want to run through how that morning unfolded from your perspective?
2: Um, yeah, I, I kind of got up and ironed a shirt and got myself ready and was, was just putting my jacket on the back of a chair at breakfast at about 5 to eight. When I got a, uh, a phone call from uh, producer Rob Noonan saying, "Get yourself to the Indian team hotel now," and I'm kind of like, "Whoa, okay, what's going on?" So they're, they're not, they're not coming. <laughs> the game's not going ahead, so I uh, hastily grabbed a coffee and uh, put it in a. A takeaway cup and jump in a, jumped in a cab and went over to uh, to where the Indian boys were staying. Got out of the cab, went into the into the hotel foyer, and there's nobody around. It's like tumbleweeds. There's lots of security and, and, and from the hotel around, but no players, no none of the usual hubbub that there would be, um, you know, on a test match morning. Um, and then went and found the, the two guys, the, uh, the the Sky Sports news presenter and cameraman, who was stood outside. Uh, <laughs> So, um, you know, then we stood there on the street corner for, for a good half an hour, 40 minutes, because we, no, no one had had a statement yet. We knew there was one coming, so we were all just waiting for that statement to drop. Um, it, it did, and we read, read out exactly what came from, from the ECB in terms of what was happening. Um, and in that statement, it had, you know, that India forfeited the, the last test match, and, you know, therefore, therefore the series will be 2 old or whatever. So we read that out verbatim. And I reacted to it <laughs> and then five, 10 minutes later, my, my phone's going completely berserk with Indian fans abusing me for, for all kinds of things, mainly about the uh, my parentage, um, uh, to say that, uh, you know, how, how dare I talk about the, the, the series being forfeited? Because of course, unbeknownst to me, um, who's now in a, in a Costa coffee shop at, the, at this time, um, the statement had been changed to remove the words forfeit. So, you, know, you knew then that the wrangling behind the scenes was going on in terms of what was going to happen um, to the status of the series whether they were going to have to reschedule the match all of that kind of stuff so um, it was a pretty hectic morning so uh, then you know the the broadcast went on air um, at, uh, at 10 o'clock uh, as, as normal and then they came to me again sort of you know I'm, I'm not, by now I'm standing outside of the hotel and I've got people coming up up to me asking me if if it's where Ronaldo's staying. You know what is that? Why we're <laughs> is that why we're there? Um, and uh, you know, and I bumped into quite a lot of, of England fans who by now had obviously heard the news, had travelled up, from, you know, travelled up from all over the country, who were obviously desperately disappointed. So, and that was that. So by I don't know, my my day was done by about sort of quarter past ten. I was uh, I was heading back to the hotel to pack up my bags and get back on the train at Manchester Piccadilly.
0: I found out about the news when I was on the train we'd just passed Milton Keynes um, and there was a lot of debate about whether or not people should turn back. There've been extreme reactions on both sides a lot of finger pointing one of your former England teammates saying that the IPL is killing test cricket. Do you understand why the India players were reluctant to play?
2: Yeah, look, I I don't think I don't think it was the right thing to do, right? Uh, let's let's get that absolutely straight, but I don't but I don't agree that it was the IPL, what done it, Governor? Um, because let's face it, the the IPL was a, was a factor, but that wasn't the reason why they decided not to play the Test match. I mean, after all, the, these guys have been on the road for for crikey, probably about eighteen months now, and in bubbles, they've kind of sacrificed all kinds of different things to play Test match cricket. Virat Kohli has um, almost single-handedly kind of, uh, which might be overstating the case, I mean, but sort me of attack, because, uh... oh, hold me. on. Jack Blatherwick's Baderwick. having a bowl. Um, it's kind of, you know, has has, re, has rekindled the sort of the love and importance of Test Match cricket in the biggest cricket playing nation in the world. So, you know, the, the, that decision would not have been taken lightly. Um, you know, again, if you want to point things at the IPR, these guys, most of them are all millionaires. Goodness knows how many times over. They're not bothered about the money for missing, you know, maybe the first game or two. I think they just absolutely had a gutful of bubbles of quarantines of being um you know of being at, at risk of catching covid it's obviously in their camp um and you know the thought then of having to do another 10 days of quarantine before you're able to leave just was too was too much to bear mm-hmm. um, and, and i'm pretty sure that that's that's that was what played the main part in their decision now none of that is of any consolation whatsoever to the to the vendors and to the to the people whose businesses are kind of geared up for five days of Test cricket to, to, to Old Trafford, to Manchester, uh, to Lancashire County Cricket Club. Um, none of that is any, of any consolation to them at all. But having been in bubbles and done quarantines and all of these types of things over a much shorter period of time than they have, I can completely understand how they just they got to the end of their rope with it all.
0: At the start of that answer, you said that it wasn't right. Is that more the timing of the decision?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think... I think in terms of sort of, I wasn't speaking in terms of morality. I just think in terms of, you know, they could have played the test match for sure. They could have got it started. They could have got it underway. Um, So I'm, you know, I I don't think anyone would sit here and say, you know, I I wholeheartedly agree that the decision they made was the correct one. That's, that's not, that's not the case. But what I can say is I can completely understand how they came, came to that decision. Mm. Um, You know, people sort of, you, you point back to, oh, hang on. Big shout, no wicket. Um, the point back to um, you know England's England's decision to to leave South Africa. Um, you know back before was it before Christmas? Um, you know the, the circumstances there were were different in that England had no positive tests in their in their in the group, but no one was vaccinated. There were there, there was no such thing back then. Um, you know South Africa there were no crowds in the ground, so there was no you know, it didn't feel, it might not have felt to them as though they were letting people down particularly because there was nobody there anyway. I mean, this is this is very different on so many levels um, because of the fact that it was, you know, the back end, the final test match of, of, of what was, should have been an incredible series was an incredible series up to that point. There were lots of people who had bought tickets and whose, whose lives had been arranged around this five days and to find out that it wasn't going to go ahead at the very last second was uh, was devastating to all of them. So, but look, 'm I'm, I'm pretty sure it was done with a heavy heart from the from the point of the Indian team. I mean just think what they've what they've lost in terms of you know the, the historical context of what they might have achieved in terms of winning three Test matches in England um, and carrying off the series um, and as i've said they, they, these are guys who have made a hell of a lot of sacrifices to be the or attempt to be the number one test match team in the world uh, and they wouldn't have taken this decision lightly mm.
0: Absolutely. Anyway, we'll, we'll let you get back covering the, the, the Somerset-Lancashire game. Good to see you. See you soon.
2: Good to see you. Take care. Bye.
0: I think it's worth running through the chain of events first. So initially, three members of the India coaching staff tested positive for COVID early in the week. A fourth, a physio called Yogesh Palmer, tested positive on Wednesday, two days before the schedule start. A Telegraph report stated that a group of Indian players contacted the BCCI on midnight before the game, expressing their desire for the game not to go ahead. On Friday morning, there were rumours circulating the game wouldn't be played. The ECB then released a statement saying that the game had been cancelled and that India, it had in effect, forfeited the test. Within minutes, all references to a possible forfeiture were removed. The result of the game is still yet to be determined. The BCCI have reportedly offered to play a test in the next summer as well as or instead of a couple of extra T20Is. Um, Phil, it's a lot to take in. What are your thoughts on the cancellation?
1: I wonder if you're going to come to, to me. Uh, what's, what are my thoughts? My thoughts are, overridingly, what a terribly sad way to end what should have been a great series, which is now broadly uh, undermined, forgotten about. Um, uh, your heart goes out to the the many, many thousands of people who would have based their their weekends around that. People who have booked hotels, people who have taken time off work, people who have bought you know ridiculous costumes and all the rest of it. And and in the end, yet again, and you see this across. You see this in sport increasingly, I think, that the punter, uh, the the person lowest down on the food chain is the one who really gets it in the neck. Um, and my heart really went out to everybody who was gearing up for this, this game. It should have been a fabulous finale to what has been a, a really good series. And in the end, it just feels besmirched, to be honest. And uh, the apportioning blame side of things, well, we can all tie ourselves up in knots here, but one thing is for sure... The ramifications, both financially and diplomatically, are monstrous. Um, uh, Lancashire released a statement saying they're devastated. They'll be devastated on all kinds of levels, but the balance sheet will be devastated. Tom Harrison's um, valiant attempt to try and persuade us that this wasn't a COVID cancellation, but this was a cancellation determined on the the mental health damage caused by the threat of COVID, and hoping that Mr insurance man was going to be listening to this. Um that was that was you know a classic of the genre really and I sympathy for Tom Harrison doesn't come naturally to me especially when him and his mates pocket 2.1 million um in bonuses with a game going through a pandemic and on its knees financially. That said I did feel for him a bit on the Friday morning because uh he was having to deal with the you know the mother of all shit shows here. Um And they know that if it's a COVID cancellation, then the insurers aren't interested. And if they can somehow persuade the insurers that it's not, that it's something else, then they have a chance to to, to recoup some of their losses. Um, The impact that it has on the ECB and the BCCI's relationship going forward, God only knows, but it won't be a good one. And the impact that it also has on the ashes as well, further weakens what's already felt like quite a precariously balanced set of, chain of events if you like. Um uh if we felt like the Ashes was under threat a week ago, then it feels like it's under even more threat now.
0: Is that just because players possibly feel emboldened a little bit more to take matters into our hands? Because this came from the players at the end of the day. I think exactly the, the that the boards were keen think, to get the game ahead.
1: I think exactly that. I mean pass it round to round to the to the table, but I think players living in these unique situations, unique scenarios, and India's players core players and England's core players, they've been flogged from pillar to post now for 18 months right through this pandemic Um, compared, say, to Australia's team, men's team. They've hardly played any cricket at all. Now, um, in these unique scenarios, in these unique situations, you can understand why players are increasingly breaking away from the the conventions and the party lines and saying, my tether has been reached. And I can't go any further. But that is a broader point than the specifics of last week.
0: Joke, on the specifics of the cancellation of the test match, do you understand where the Indian players are coming from?
4: I do, absolutely. And um, yeah, in my view, uh, if the roles were reversed, England would have been on the first plane out of Mumbai. Uh, I think we've it's a slightly different situation with South Africa in that vaccinations hadn't arrived then. So it's not a direct comparison. But we have seen that England were prepared to... To quit at all early because they didn't feel comfortable in that environment as was their right they took a bit of criticism lots of people understood and I think we're in the same situation now it's it's one of those debates that's brought out the worst on on both sides I've sort of stayed clear of Twitter on this one because it's just it's easy to pile into India at this point and you've got the IPL which so many people hate as so many people are angry about anyway for some very justifiable reasons and I'm not naive enough to think the IPL has had no impact on this whatsoever I'm sure it has you can taking that to one side, they still were well within their rights to to call uh pull the plug on this one because these are this wasn't just someone who was part this wasn't a kind of a data analyst, this was someone who's kind of putting their hands on them as their physio, as the second physio. Um, I don't know what they'd have done if they had gone through the match and needed a physio. I guess you just bring someone in <laughs> new into yeah. the into the camp, which I guess is not it's not the worst thing ever, but there's got to be trust involved with those those guys as well. So mm. I think yeah, it's all too easy to say, oh, it's India, India run the world, India ruined the series. There's loads more at stake. And it's, it feels absolutely right. I mean, now when you... With the benefit of hindsight, it feels like everything has been building up to this point. This was the kind of pressure cooker environment for for not just the Indian camp, for international cricketers across the world. And player power is is incredibly strong these days anyway, particularly with the IPL and franchise cricket. And, and now um, I think players are going to feel well within their rights to say... I'm not comfortable. I'm not going to do it. But if you're piling into India, I would. I would just wait and see how the next few months play out because there are going to be some England players who don't fancy playing some cricket series as well.
1: It has been a good week for Ravi Shastri's book publishers. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and th- th- this is an interesting one because it's assumed that he contracted it uh, at that event. It was a big event. The number of Indian players there as well. It was a London event. His book signing, book launch, um, and some of the anger frustration from the English camp stemmed from that sense of irresponsibility of arrogance perhaps of being laissez-faire and taking the notion of uh, responsible living if you like in a COVID light bubble taking taking it to the nth degree and actually jeopardizing this this kind of Delicate ecosystem. Did that's see- all very well until you find out that Tom Harrison was there as well.
0: Yeah, yeah you- but I, I don't think it's that straightforward because in the Evening Standard report that broke that story, it stressed that Tom Harrison was not impressed with what he saw when he was there and the ECB were surprised at how lax the COVID regulations were when they were there. That
4: was all said after the event as well. Though, that's true, How that's unimpressed true. was he at the time yeah. or how <laughs> unimpressed is he <laughs> now? True. But it was I, also Malcolm Malcolm Conn, the uh, former Australian media manager, tweeted that Shastra had basically kind of flaunted advice during their series as well refused to wear a mask at different points these are all allegations but there is that sense that he thought he was above above the rules um but you know we've also been on this show saying that people need to have lives they shouldn't all be in bubbles so where where do you draw the line and perhaps a book launch is beyond that line but it's it's, it's easier said than done To so just be like right that's wrong something else would have been right um yeah i i, I think shastri again is is an easy target here and I, th- I think you can
3: you can also like th- think that there might have been mistakes made along the way, and that you know the, the book launch could have been more COVID safe, whatever. And also, people don't know that's what you call it, but yeah, yeah, that could have been more more COVID safe, and that the decision could have been made earlier, and it all could have been more more sensibly, and still completely understand the decision that India have come to. I mean, like, and and it is it is very different, sort of like learning to live with something which has been with us for eighteen months, and then it all of a sudden being like right on your doorstep so you can be living sort of naturally and all of a sudden i mean in a similar situation where if, if you had like a housemate that tested positive for covid you would all of a sudden be like it would just be a new feeling of like fear and worry that's something you'd kind of been like putting, pushing to the back of your mind because that's the only way you can kind of live at the moment basically is to either be scared every moment of every day or to sort of like make some sort of compromises but then those feelings change when situations change so i, I again i completely understand india and i think india's uh move and i think there's also a way that as much as it's hugely regrettable for the fans who are going to go, for Lancashire, for the ECB's finances, there is a way that positives can come out of this. I think that overall players feeling they have more power to assert themselves, to sort of ask for better working conditions essentially is a good thing. And if, if this is what encourages England's players to say, no, we're not going to play the Ashes unless we have these things in place, that is good because they shouldn't be asked to... to to, to, to work in the conditions they, that they have been for the past 18 months, basically, that has just been unreasonable. And we've kind of, like, the, you know, boards and administrators have got away with doing it because players almost haven't felt that they've been able to assert themselves. If it does give them a bit more assertiveness, that is a good thing. And on, on what you said, Phil, about the relationship with the ECB and the BCI, in some senses, this will weaken it. But also, this gives the ECB a little bit of leverage. And the BCI, you know, the power brokers in the world game, if there is that bit that that could be a good thing for English cricket, for world cricket possibly. I mean, I remember Mark Butcher on an episode of this show- Who? Oh, Mark, <laughs> a while ago was saying that like, uh, when, when uh, India initially asked that this test be canceled back in May, he said the ECB should have agreed but on the condition that they play in the hundred, yeah, and, and 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 why not bring that up again now? So like, fine, yeah, we'll have we'll have Virat Kohli for for, for three weeks next year. But, but that so, also yeah.
4: doesn't take into account. We're talking about player power. You can't ask the BCCI to agree for all of their players to play in the hundred. The players have got to make sure, those decisions but, but, themselves. But, but, but right? I guess, there is I guess, other things you can get. I understand the leverage argument. I'm but not but sure. you can you can
3: get them to opt to to agree to offer no non objection certificates. I guess which is what the BCCI don't give at all at the moment. So I guess you could then let Indian players have the option Open of playing in the 100, yeah, yeah, uh, or, or, or ex, a game next year or something, but like that bit of power rebalancing could also be a good thing, at least for the ECB in the long run.
0: Phil, uh, Ram asked, isn't it ironic that people say India are killing Test cricket out of this one incident when they've been one of the biggest ambassadors for the Test game over the last 12 months?
1: Well, I was just about to say, actually, uh, on the back of Ben's point, if you take... If you take ourselves back to early December, maybe late November, I think early December when they played that first Test match in Australia, in brackets, got bowled out for 36 and still won the series. But if you take, us, take it back to that point, it was touch and go whether that series was going to go ahead, certainly in front of any kind of crowds in Australia. They played four Test matches there. They legged it home. They played an ODI series, or rather a T20 series, an ODI series, and they, played, they went straight into a four Test match series against England. Then they played the IPL, which was cut short, as we know. Then, soon enough, they were over on a plane uh, at the start of May to tune up in English conditions to play the the, the WTC Championship against New Zealand. Then they were in in English kind of open prison uh, for, what, six weeks? About a month, yeah. Yeah, certainly four or five weeks, building up to that first Test match, play another four games. It would be harsh in the extreme... To throw the book at those individuals uh, who have given, for our enjoyment, our, our pleasure, and for the other not insignificant issue of keeping the cogs whirring of a game that is financially desperate, it would be, you'd have to have a pretty... Look, I can understand where people are coming from. I can understand the existential threat that they think the IPL poses. And I can understand that there is something at play regarding the sanctity of the five day game, which feels again like it's been chipped away at. But I don't, I can't subscribe to that perspective because I think the bigger, the bigger point is that India, who can call all the shots, have decided uh, over the last few years, under Kohli's captaincy in particular, to throw everything they have at Test Match Cricket. And you can't say that other other um, governing bodies. And there are reasons for that. There's real politic reasons. There's bottom line reasons for why the West Indies put on few Test Matches and so on and so on. But just looking at India, take the, taking this week out of the equation, their players are the most compliant, hardworking players. For all their money and all their fame and wealth, they are the hardest grafting players out there. Uh, and just in terms of Air miles, time, time on the park, every single sinew put into
0: it. You can't, you can't throw the book at them. Slightly cheeky question: Do you think their decision would be any different if the series scoreline was different?
3: <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I don't think so personally. No, uh, uh, but, and yeah, I mean, it's a cheeky question. We are completely guessing,
0: but but also, I, I guess it's also linked to what Phil said earlier in terms of how this series will be remembered, because. Kind of the series was perfectly set up in a way if in India win that fourth Test match, the way the series remembered is completely different if Cause my, a, my inclination
4: win. is to think that maybe they wouldn't have gone home if the score was different, if it was tied or if England were winning, maybe they wouldn't have but that's I guess that's from seeing how desperate Kohli is to win over here, and I know how much that means to him. It feels like, not in necessarily a, a kind of cynical way, but you're, you would just feel different about the environment around you. So, Ben, why, why do you think they would have headed home whatever the scoreline was?
3: Uh, well, I think p- partly because, I mean, they would have headed home knowing there was a, a threat that this would end in them not winning the series, that there would just be this forfeit. And, and, and as much as it would seem silly for England to, you know, essentially not lose at home because of a technicality, we're also in, you know when this team comes to be remembered, you would like, for example, that Pakistan series in 2006, we don't think of that as being like 2-0 or kind of, kind of two and a half to the half to Pakistan when the game was forfeited for the, uh, the ball tampering thing. We think of it as being 3-0 to England and it's only when you actually click on the score and be like, how did England win having conceded a 300 run lead? Oh yeah, right, that was that game. Uh, but they had already won the series. Sure, sure. It's, it's, it's a, it's a I, bit different. But, I, but,
1: I, I, I agree with the fundamental point that they haven't won the series. They were 2-1 up with 1 to play um and so this obsession that kohli has with uh defeating the two big old enemies or the the, the modern old enemies now they don't play pakistan um well the, there's a huge asterisk that's right through the middle of the of the series which, now
4: which which yeah which which will bug him and i do see that i, I think that makes sense i'd be fascinated to know what kohli's thinking was during this whether he was one of the players who, who didn't want to play whether he was trying to convince players who didn't want to play that they should play that would be fascinating to find them
3: all stuff which I suspect we will
4: probably never yeah never find out
3: yeah. but just 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 on Coley I mean it's because it's quite because he's obviously a, a figure of, of, of dislike among a lot of England fans it's easy to see him as this very like ultra modern type player this kind of child of the IPL this white ball superstar who's kind of like you know b- b- acting out on the field and you know making fun of the barmy arm that sort of thing and, and think of him as a player who would like actually in some ways uh, not care too much about Test Cricket or care too much about the result. But that's not just at all the case with him. Like we, we know from, I mean, you, you've interviewed him, Joe, and, and he is he's either very, very convincing or he does uh, absolutely love test cricket and that could easily not be the case and you get a lot of players who sort of pay lip service the long long format Who say sort of like yeah it's the pinnacle but you know i'm just happy to play for my country with everything. and that's not at all how it comes across for him it does really seem like test cricket we is just have to watch him for <laughs> exactly seconds. yeah clear, and, and, isn't it? and if it weren't for him test cricket would be in a much much worse place now it is so much more relevant because the most powerful one of the most powerful sports people in the world sees this thing as as, as the ultimate pinnacle and will kind of do anything for success in it and that does have to be remembered
1: Mm. Yeah, I would imagine it will it, be pretty. you will have a cob on on the on the journey home because he'll be thinking this is this is unfinished business. Throwing it forward though to what might yet happen. So the report in the Daily Mail this morning, Lawrence Booth, is that they've given the option as you said at your intro. Is it an either or? It's two T20s or a final Test match. Apparently, but
0: both options are on the table. Both options
1: are on the table, but from what I read, Ganguly has pushed for it. To be a one-off test match rather than a continuation of the series so
4: yeah, like I, so, I, so, I think, so the
1: series is is
4: won by india
1: effectively that's what he's pushing for yeah and then this is-
0: <laughs> but, but the result of the for- of the Manchester test match the ic might decide that it was a india forfeit so i think that this this series the 2021 series is finished we just don't know the result of it if that makes sense right if there's a test match next year, it's going to be a one off test match. So that's what, what, what Tom Harrison is also saying as well.
1: So there's no chance that that test match will be the fifth test?
0: At the moment, no.
3: Sort of Schrodinger's yeah. test series. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And also, who, who knows what this means for the World Test Championship as well? Mm. Uh, that's well, a an- big another, one. Got
0: yeah. another couple of years to worry about <laughs> that. Um, moving on, England have announced a 15 man squad for the upcoming T20 World Cup as well as three travelling reserves. That squad is Morgan, Moeen, Besto, Billings, Butler, Sam Curran, Jordan, Livingston, Milan, Tamar Mills, who hasn't played for England in four years, Rashid, Roy, Willie, Wokes, Wood. The three travelling reserves are Tom Curran, travelling reserve specialist Liam Dawson and James Vince. Thoughts on that group? No huge surprise in there, I guess. We're all collectively gutted for Matt Parkinson.
3: Yeah, I think, so Freddie Wilde, Chris is very well made. An interesting point that squad construction can be slightly different in these times. In that, uh, because you get to go with these travelling reserves, you can uh, your squad doesn't have to be built so much around sort of covering for injuries as it sort of was during the 2019 World Cup. You needed to worry about what happened if Adil Rashid rolled an ankle on the morning of a, of a game. Uh, whereas now, so so that that particularly comes into play with Wokes, Willie, and Curran, I guess, who all fill very similar roles as sort of like new ball bowlers who bat sort of at seven or eight and are kind of uh, all rounds with bowling all-rounders you could easily get away with one or two of them in the squad and that's where you fit in your sort of your your conditions bowler so that would be matt parks i think because you do get um i mean you get in in world cups in general but it's in the uae you get games and pitches where it does just really turn i mean in 2014 i think we had Uh, Harath take 5 for 3 to bowl New Zealand out for 60 and then the next World Cup you had I think New Zealand spinners take 9 of the 10 or 8 of the 10 India wickets between them that's when they dropped all Um, their quicks yeah exactly and played 3 or 4 spinners and England just don't have that option they have a they have Livingston's bowl bit a part-time. Mowen is really no much more than a part time in T20 and they have Adil Rashid. And it's also, if Adil Rashid does get injured now, you're going in with Liam Dawson as your frontline spinner in a Team world Cup. That's so. the bizarre bit
4: for me. I mean, first of all, it's it's very strange you look at India's squad and they've picked, what, five spinners? Mm. And England have picked one and two halves? I mean, that they seem to know something that that, that we mm. don't or that everyone knows that England haven't picked up on. I, I think it's a very odd balance to the squad and... I appreciate Freddie's point on on the fact that traveling reserves make the makeup of your squad a, a bit less uh, kind of pertinent, and that you've got those guys there. But to me, that it, to me, that even if you go that way, the fact it's Dawson and not Parkinson as your yeah. reserve spinner is he just doesn't is, really fancy him, does it? I mean, that's it. I just think I think on this show, lots of times we've tried to kind of explain away why he might, he hasn't been picked for certain squads and tried to make excuses. They're saving him for something. I I think. Whether it's Morgan, or I'm pretty sure it's Morgan, and perhaps Silverwood as well, they just don't seem to fancy him. They mm. seem to think whatever he does for Lancashire is not going to be easily replicated for England. Uh, maybe Morgan just thinks I can smash him in the nets. Our boys smash him in the nets. That's not going to work. I don't mm. know, but for don't, me, uh, sorry for me. Yes, yeah, for me it's baffling. He's not there. Yeah, I, I at guess at least in the travelling reserves.
0: Poss- possibly his. Uh, he's a proper number 11. He's not a great fielder. Maybe that comes into it a little bit. I also think that it's possible that if they encounter a really slow surface, it takes a lot of spin, they actually back Moeen and Livingston to be competent second and third spinners and actually get close to 12 overs out of them possibly i mean it, it, um, it must be otherwise they've included more spinners in the squad
4: it just feels like they wanted Karen wokes and winning the squad because they like them all and think they're good critters they just picked them all even mm. though it's hard to see how all three of them going to be useful over the course of a um of a tournament but I'm, I'm delighted to see mills in there i don't don't think that's any surprise at all um morgan was doing some commentary on the 100 when mills was playing and and clearly thinks of him as a as a, as a really special talent i think I think there's a good chance they would have actually played even if Archer was around. I think maybe mm. he might have snuck in rather than one of the other seamers. Uh he does, he does different things and he does them very, very well. England's death bowling has been a bit wayward at times and he's kind of a specialist in that area. Um, it's interesting. I mean, he, takes, he seems to take a lot fewer wickets than he used to. And I saw him describing himself as a, as a defensive bowler, which is odd to think of a, a 90 miles an hour quick as a defensive bowler but that obviously is, is how it works in T20 sometimes and his
1: economy rate was brilliant in the the hundred wasn't it yeah
4: fantastic uh, and yeah he's got he's got the range of skills that you think will make him successful in international cricket I think he's a better bowler now than when he got the big IPL deal he's certainly got a lot more to his game um so yeah that's that's exciting and I think he's got a really good chance of, of actually not just being in that squad but obviously being in that squad but playing
1: um could I was away, wasn't I, for a month or so. So I didn't see the back end of the 100 when Liam Livingston was tearing it up. And I also wasn't really a part of the editorial decision to put Liam Livingston on the front cover of the upcoming issue of Wisden Cricket Monthly. Um, Liam Livingston's made 77 runs in seven or eight first class innings this year and yet carries the cover of the greatest cricket mag- magazine in the world. Joe, talk me through Liam Livingstone in the last six weeks, because I'm, I'm, <laughs> gen- I'm genuinely fascinated. I've always liked him. I've always liked the rawness, the, the, the chutzpah element of his game. I like the fact that he bowls bits of filth around the wicket, back of a hand, all that. And obviously, he's got the fastest hands in, in the north. What else is there to say about him? How does he justify getting on the front cover of the magazine? That, that well, it's you, a bit late, uh, since he we went to print last week. LAUGHTER <But, laughs> Pulpit. pulpit i love pulpit.
0: i love the cover by the way and i it's completely of our, back it, living it is a great cover,
4: looking cover um well i think perhaps you, you perhaps you had to see it to kind of believe it or be part of it some of the hitting during the course of the hundred was extraordinary not only the distances but obviously eye-catching and 120 meters everyone gets excited about that but the regularity with which he was doing it was astonishing uh there is also just a kind of Sort of unreconstructed nature to the way he bats which is hugely appealing as well uh, mm. and there's a newness to him as well I mean he's yeah he's been around for a little while in, in County Cricket he said he's, he's been a part of a test squad but there is a, a newness as a character which from the point of view of putting together a magazine um, I find very appealing there's also from a kind of the, the business angle uh, we have our subscribers who receive the magazine every month um, hopefully they're not going to be turned off by having him on the cover although a few might be But also, we we sell on a newsstand in W.H. Smiths and all other good uh, news agents. Uh, And Livingston is the name that will have grabbed a few people, new fans to the game, over the last month or six weeks. And if they're thinking about picking up a magazine for the first time, Livingston will be the name on on their lips. Um, So that that was another appealing aspect to it.
3: Considering that what he's done, a lot of it has been on free-to-air TV as well. Um, I mean... If, if the 100 has worked as, as the ECB and we all hope it has, he might well be the, the, the most famous, second most famous cricketer in the country at this point, him or him or Paul Sterling, I think, who uh, <laughs> was obviously player of the match in the final. But.
0: Um, yeah, I remember, Joe, when you told me that when, when Phil was away, that Phil wasn't as sold on the idea of living on the cover. I was really surprised. And I genuinely think, Phil, it's... Yeah, you had to be you had to be here whilst he was doing it. I remember right. yeah. uh one one of my friends who never really got into cricket before the tournament said her mum would ask, Is Livingston on? He's never showed any right. interest in cricket ever before. I think he does just have that uh almost I think we just compared him to Peterson before. I'm not saying he's as good as Peterson, but he does have that draw, I think. I think he's he's very charismatic. Mm. Um is a real I love the energy around Livingston when he comes out to bat and like at a very basic level, he just hits the ball so far. It draws people in, in a way like you don't, you can know nothing about cricket and you'd be like, that's, that's cool. I want you see to know it about at that Lords
4: For the final, the energy was just sucked out of the ground when he got, when he got <laughs> yeah. run out in that way, which is kind of amazing piece of fielding itself. But Lords was just flat after that. It was, it was really, yeah, I, I, I keep coming back to Peterson. and I think there is a lot of that in him, not necessarily that he's going to go on and score.
1: 23 24 test hundreds but um but there has been that little murmur right which is only a murmur at the moment around him from what i gather but that and even around this table it might might be murmured off off air that he could yet be that breakout player that crafts his his numbers in white ball cricket and emerges into red ball cricket and he's good enough to to see off both oh, do, you, oh, do you do oh. you genuinely think does one genuinely think that might be the case?
3: I'll happily murmur it on air. <laughs> right. Uh, but, okay.
0: um, uh, hasn't scored twenty-five in a first-class game in two years.
3: Yeah, sure. But there's a lot of uh, average 40-odd before that, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah th- there was a, a time when he was a very feasible Test prospect. He's been in Test squads before. Uh, I also think that I mean the momentum is with him. That I think that I think one one thing is, and this is going back a while now, but but the Jason Roy experiment. Uh, happened in the worst possible place to do that experiment because those kind of openers just never succeed in England even when you look at the ones who have done it successfully anywhere David Warner and Sehwag have 100 between them in England it's just not something you can't hit 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 the cover off it hit the shine off it in England where Against you can't
4: Cummins and hazelwood
3: exactly where you where you can do that if anywhere is in Australia where it just doesn't move as much where it's a different ball uh and where you you do see these sort of these hit through the line openers succeed like Hayden and obviously there is a lot to their games I'm not saying Livingston is as good as those but if you are going to pick a white ball player who has an incredible eye and is playing in the former's life anywhere it is in Australia and if you just want to change the mood music around the camp after a sort of a drab test summer where you've been like beaten by two teams you pick the the, the most appealing cricketer in the country so I think I think there there is a lot to be said for uh for having a look at Livingston and and just and just keeping in mind that that could be an option i think and I, I know that the uh, the numbers recently don't don't speak hugely in his favor but but also that is over such a a long period of time at not, sort of not great times of the season because when when there are can championships a good time of season he's off doing other stuff uh so yeah i'm 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 definitely not against the idea of of livingston being a bolter if he continues doing what he has done it did yeah it just felt in august like you could turn a tv on at any point and living would be hitting a six basically and it was actually not in the hundred it was in the two twenty last game that was amazing against and he didn't even make very many runs uh but he clearly just got to taunton saw how short the boundaries were saw probably he was in the opposition bowling tag and thought like oh, i should probably be hitting every ball for six here and just basically tried to do that like swung himself with his feet it was like, it like 20 uh, 25, 25 or eight off eight nine or something like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was great It was one of the best things of the summer I think.
0: <laughs> yeah and, and also i think the the stage of a World Cup is so huge that if he has a really good World Cup, like it will just be...
3: And yeah, was the World Cup being
4: just around the corner was a resistable. big part of it. To be honest, I mean, if we're being completely honest, he was lined up to be a cover story for the issue after the one we've just sent to print, which would have been our T20 World Cup preview. Um, as it was, it felt like a compelling story to, to do now. You know, I mean, if, he, if he's won the World Cup for England in six weeks, then... Um, It will look like we're ahead of the curve for
0: once. (laughs) Um, Staying in the world of T20 cricket, the IPL restarts this week. Really? Yeah, in in case you'd forgotten, the tournament was roughly halfway through the group phase uh, when it was called off. Delhi, CSK, RCB and Mumbai were in the top four. Sunrisers are rooted to the bottom. KKR are struggling. And Punjab and Rajasthan are just outside the top four. There have been a few withdrawals. Um, plenty of English withdrawals, actually. Wokes, Besto, Butler and Milan are not taking part. A couple of additions. George Garton is now part of the RCB squad. And Adil Rashid is now part of the Punjab Finally. Kings which is exciting. Um, The final England-New Zealand T20I took place a few days ago. England emerged victorious to take the series 2-1. England chased 145 off the penultimate ball of the innings. Heather Knight returning from injury, hit 42. Sophia Dunkley scored a calm 22 not out at the death and Amy Jones hit a quick fire, 32. Dunkley continuing her fine summer. Um, A bit of news ahead of the ODI series. Charlie Dean has been included. She's not yet played for England yet. She's a 20-year-old off who played for London Spirit in the 100. Kate Cross and Lauren Winford-Hill both returned to the group, having missed out on the T20i series, while Danny Wyatt is back in the squad, having not played in the ODI series against India earlier in the summer. Before we go on the show, a word for Is Cricket Club. We've been recording the podcast over the last few weeks from Sixers Cricket Club every now and again. If you haven't heard about Six Is Cricket Club is a new cricket-themed social entertainment venue with restaurant, bar and cricket nets. All Wisden podcast listeners can receive 10% off their food and drink by quoting Wisden 10 on their booking notes. Um, they've got a new store open in Manchester, so if you're based in the northwest, make sure you check it out. Joe, you 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 actually went there over the weekend, not in Manchester. Um, have a good time.
4: It was actually went on Friday uh, with a few mates, uh, three of which have basically never played cricket before. Uh, shambolic scenes throughout, really, um, but but glorious fun, excellent food, nice drinks, and uh, yeah, the cricket's good. I actually did you found- connect with any? Yeah, I got 88 not out. It's my highest score in that any is. form of cricket, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it, but I actually found the beginner one that you, we started on was so slow that I actually struggled on beginner. But when I hit club, my natural level, um, <laughs> then yeah, I was yeah clearing the ropes on a regular basis.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I, I often find the bowling I face is just too slow for me. A problem I often have. Um, before we get into the cricket played in the county game this week, we'll start with the the biggest story from the county game. Um, Yorkshire released a statement regarding the investigation into Azim Rafiq's allegations of racism at the club. Seven of Rafiq's allegations were upheld. I'll run through them. When Rafiq was playing junior cricket for Yorkshire, he was not provided with halal food at matches. This has now been rectified. Prior to 2010, the panel found that there were three separate incidents of racist language being used by former players, which were found to be harassment on the grounds of race. Before 2012, a former coach regularly used racist language. During his second spell at Yorkshire between 2016 and 2018, there were jokes made around religion, which made individuals uncomfortable about their religious practices. During his second spell at the club, a former player made references to Rafiq's weight and fitness that amounted to bullying. In August 2018, when Rafiq raised concerns of racism, there was a failure by the club to follow its own policy or investigate these allegations. On a number of occasions prior to 2018, the club could have done more to make Muslims more welcome within their stadiums and should have dealt better with complaints of racism or antisocial behaviour within those stadiums. In response to that statement, Rafiq, the spokesperson, said, We note that Yorkshire has confirmed Azeem was the victim of racism and bullying during his two spells at Headingley. However, we must highlight the atrocious way this process continues to be handled. Azeem was not given any notice of this morning's statement. He received a copy only a couple of minutes before the media... Azeem and his team are not in a position to properly understand the club's conclusions and how they reached them because Yorkshire has not provided a copy of the report. This is clearly unacceptable and abuse of process. What is clear is that Yorkshire admits racism and bullying has taken place on many occasions yet won't accept the obvious that this is an institutional problem. We also note that Baroness Morgan the former secretary of state for digital culture media and sport has written to Yorkshire in recent days demanding that Azim sees a full copy of the report. We further note that the letter to Yorkshire from Julian Knight the chair of the digital culture media and sport select committee on Wednesday we welcome their interventions we will provide a fuller statement in the coming days. Today Azim Rafiq says that his allegations against Yorkshire will be told to the world after suggesting he cannot continue his formal dispute with the club. Quite a lot to digest there. Um, Phil, anything to add? Um,
1: interesting intervention today by Rafiq, as you, as you mentioned. Um, I don't know if you quoted it. Sorry, it was so much to take in and it just swells the, the mind. But yeah, he said, I'm now looking for the right platform to end my pain by speaking out in full with names, dates, and every inch of detail. Now, that might be the. the, the the, the, the voice of a man at the end of his tether who's venting on twitter or it might be that this is this is going to be the next port, point of action for him and his people um there are names who we know there are names who others know within the game there's certainly names that now the ECB are aware of the ECB have not been happy as well with Yorkshire as well um with the way that the Report has been obfuscated, held back from the ECB, who only saw it themselves last week. Um, but if Rafiq doesn't blow the cover, then there's every chance that parliamentary privilege will be used by an MP or two um, to uh, to reveal the names of of those who are implicated in this. And we understand we have a degree of understanding why Yorkshire themselves can't because of the legal ramifications. So, we, so we get that. Although it feels it doesn't sit comfortably on anybody i don't think certainly certainly outside of the four walls of yorkshire and did their statement begin to fully recognise the the weight of those those findings i didn't i didn't feel that personally at least they'd moved on from that uh, term inappropriate behaviour which was thrown at Rafiq 2 or 3 weeks ago which was beyond the pale i thought and he had every right to be incandescent on the back of that at least now the words have been used some of the examples that have been flagged are pretty turns the stomach um the thing that really jumps out from that list of seven upheld allegations by an independent inquiry the thing that really sticks out to me he made these complaints in 2018 there was no there was a failure to address them a failure to follow up Now that, I'm afraid, carries echoes of what happened when Taha, who's a colleague of ours, first spoke to Rafiq about this over 12 months ago, and his story began to creep out into the public domain, amplified by the BBC and Crick Info after the story had run in Joe and Maya magazine. Yorkshire weren't interested in talking to us at that point. They were only prepared to even engage with this scandal when it was it got too big for them to manage i'm afraid what we hear from this refusal to acknowledge the the, the allegations in 2018 is a further example of that and, the, and a root a root cause example and it's and and that to me of all of it that really that drives home that Rafiq's question Rafiq's point about institutional racism in the club which is a d- difficult thing to throw around and i'm not by the way. I'm not. But the definition of institutional racism uh, is not a million miles away from that idea, that, that reality that he came to them and he said, this is what's been happening. Multiple examples, multiple people involved. And there is a pattern, isn't there? There's and a pattern they turned of, away from it. A pattern of doing nothing until you're
4: forced into a position where you have to act. And that has been proven at several stages now. So then, it's therefore, it's very hard to believe that there actually is the will to change things when, when you haven't bothered to act until you've been forced into a position where you've had to. Uh, and now Yorkshire have to prove to to everyone that they do mean what they say rather than just trying to wriggle out of the stuff they've been accused of, which is what it's felt like all the way through.
0: And mm. imagine from Rafiq's point of view, he's gone through a lot and there are no obvious consequences to that. Uh, ben, you made the point when you read the statement that one of the first bullet points about how Yorkshire are moving forward was amending their club handbook. Yeah, I mean...
3: Yeah, just echo everything that Phil and Joe have said. And that, I mean, the ECB have been, I, I actually don't think they have seen the full report yet. They've only seen the summary. Uh, so I think it's, it's very limited who has actually read that full report. And it's limited the ECB's ability to act because they can't take any possible disciplinary measures while there's this investigation and in process. And then even though the investigation is included, they can't see what's actually, what the conclusions even are properly. So they can't come to decision themselves. It maybe will get to the point where they have to do their own investigation because Yorkshire are willing to release their findings. I think that there should be very little off the table in terms of sanctions for the club because of how they've handled this whole thing, including uh, suspension from the county championship and the championship get- and the Counter game for any number of years. Basically, I think it's it's just it's a poor through the whole process.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, you, the list of MPs that you flagged up at the start of that. I don't know if you mentioned Kevin Brennan as well, who Crick Info quoted, and I've got it here. Only through openness and transparency will racism in sport be eradicated and more harm will be done to the game of cricket and the club by suppressing any of this. the report's findings uh, and by making them public and following through on the recommendations. Um, the world is watching really closely now. Um, and meanwhile, the individuals involved... Uh, yeah, well, I wonder how, how well they're sleeping at the moment because you feel like it's only a matter of time before... Those names are revealed.
0: MPs on both sides of the house as well. Worth mm. adding. Um, poor
1: poor kid, man. Mm. That's what that's what comes through, just poor kid. He's had to stomach all kinds of shit in the last year. Online, offline, middle of the night, wakes up to another torrent of abuse. Horrific.
0: And it's still ongoing as well. Anyway, moving on to the county championship. By the time of recording, we're nearly halfway through the third round of County Championship games since the divisional split. It's not going great for Somerset. They are uh, struggling big time against Lancashire. Bowled out for not many in response to Lancashire's 3-7-3 at Taunton. The Yorkshire-Warwickshire game is an entertaining low scorer. Wokes and Milan playing there. Hampshire Knots is going similarly. Keith Barker, the first seven Nottinghamshire first innings wickets, um, but unfortunately didn't get all ten. Um elsewhere there's a daddy hundred for alistair Cook at the Oval. Tim Murtagh passed 50 wickets in the county championship for the ninth time in his career, um, and Ben Brown scored his 21st first-class hundred. The Sussex keeper batsman averages 45 in first-class cricket since a the start good one. of 2015. For the he'd cover. be a good one for our list of, of uncapped cricketers.
4: Uncapped cricketers, absolutely. Well, we did we, we did a piece on kind of county cricket, sort of unheralded stars a few years ago, didn't we? He's one of our one of our five. And yeah, at the time,
1: 21 first-class hundreds from a keeper. He's been a 45? club captain for a, a while, as well.
0: Over a really long period of time, I, I know. See, people say, "Oh, a lot of that's in Division 2 but the one season he was in Division One, he got four hundreds. Um, so you can't, can't really do much for that. And you made the point before we went on air uh, where you said it's not been an easy place to bat, with the exception of last week where they broke all sort of records. It looked there. quite uh, an yeah. easy place <laughs> to bat last week. <laughs> Um Ben your moment of the week is from the televised game between Somerset and Lancashire.
3: Yeah, so it was a weird first day and looks like a weird game in general because uh Somerset what took two early wickets I think and then Luke Wells counterattacked Chanceley but effectively uh and then some at it back. And at the end of the day, what, they scored like 350 runs and rate right so It was quite hot. So Lancashire were clearly ahead, but it was like, it was weird how they got there. Tom Abel at one point, his figures were three for 63 off seven overs. So he was going at nine, like, like a Dil Rashid and an ODI that. Yeah. Um, uh, but the moment itself was Josh Bohannon, who had, uh, so while Luke Wells was sort of racing on the other end, was sort of grafting away and he just got to 50 and then played a, it was such as, I mean, it's such a strange dismissal really, because it was what sort of like a, a back cut in the air that was caught by the man about sort of like two-thirds, three-quarters of the way in or a bit
0: closer. I'm I'm not exaggerating when I say I don't think I've ever seen a fielder in that position in a professional game of cricket before. So he's like, neither; he's not on the fence. He's not on one. But on on the line on backward point? Yeah, kind of. Or or
3: slightly more behind square, possibly. But
0: not a fly slip because he's he's too square to be a fly fly slip. It's the new
1: position. I'm not just saying this. India did it. India did it in the test match um this peculiar you're right it's it's not on the 45 it's not on square we yeah. might have to edit this stuff out I mean, this is, <laughs> this is terrible. but yeah this peculiar new position it's for the, the the cut where you lean back and you kind of skew it I think
0: so that's what I I was thinking I, I I was really confused and I genuinely thought it was a mistake that they had someone out there but when you think about it the cut shot is quite hard to get down if you really put your hands through it so I guess it's a wicket-taking position.
3: Yeah, and I mean, yeah, a brilliant bit of captaincy from Tom Abel. Uh, but the point was more that uh, I've enjoyed watching Bohannon back this year. I went up to Old Trafford for a day out of the summer and saw him make a very good hundred in the in the Roses game um, that gave him just enough time to force a win. He's quite, he's sort of like a an efficient, sort of like compact player, so he's not immediately eye-catching. And I think that's because he's got a brilliant first-class record now, but I think that's why he hasn't got as much discussion. He, he also came through a very, very, Packed full of talent, Lancashire age group. I think it was in the same cohort as uh, a Hamid, Mahmud, and Parkinson all around that time. So if you're in there, you're not the one that people are saying like keep an eye on this kid. So he's had, but I think that's also given him the time to sort of work out his game to sort of uh, to build up and now to become like the the mainstay of Lancashire's batting, basically. Uh, But this was basically a a moment, you know, uh, cricket writers are looking for something to write about with the test having been cancelled. Uh, you, you're on a suddenly televised game, Nasser and Afton are commentating on you. They just if, need something to talk about exactly. the next few days. <laughs> if, if, if you get to 100, they are going to look at your quick info profile and realise this guy has something of a case. And so to get to 50, then to get out in that way felt so frustrating. But he did, he did play really well up to that point. He didn't get the, the, the bowling that I think Luke Wells got to, to get away. Uh, he looked, there was one moment of discomfort, again, Marchant Delanger, but for the most part, he played him pretty well. And I think there's evidence that he can play the quicks as well. Uh, you, you you saw a bit of Jonathan
0: Trott in him yeah so specifically he's quite a short guy um probably about five foot five he's got <laughs> what the shot where uh where you kind of flick the ball off a good length that's outside off stump through the leg side that trot played very well i think it might have been the shot that got him to his first hundred at the oval might be wrong but that's that's very trot like um i don't think he's uh, no, I, I'm, I'm wary of pushing everyone yeah. I talk about in this podcast selection. that's not that's not what I'm
3: saying but I don't think it will be long until he is in some sort of conversation and had he got to 100 then that could have significantly yeah. uh, hastened that process I suppose I get, yeah
0: I get that point um, I don't think like he he doesn't like time the ball in a particularly natural way that I think catches the eye so I think and he's also only got three first cars hundreds so I mean I guess this is the state of English batting that that could sometimes be enough and he's also not eye-catchingly
3: strange either I mean <laughs> uh like it, everyone in England's top seven basically apart from I guess Milan I suppose is either like a like a they're a, a, an, an aesthetically beautiful player and not, not that Milan isn't at some points but you know you've got like Pope or or something like that, or, or they like have like loads moving parts. settings so, so each of them will catch you on somewhere whereas Bahanan just kind of Bats fairly normally is not a brilliant timer, but has like a, a secure enough defense and knows how to sort of work around his runs.
1: Anything else on Josh Bahannon?
3: No, I mean, no but, but we did a good two. So, three sorry,
0: on I, that. sorry, I was just
4: thinking actually, the Lancashire uh, Academy products get a good good reviews from us, don't they? As we said, Parkinson obviously, Mahmoud <laughs> yeah. gets a
0: yeah.
3: Hamid, Obviously, a long
4: time yeah. favourite.
0: Yeah, that's true. I don't that's know if they combined airtime with to Livingston as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, Lauren's got a good 70 out here. Um, and just uh, forgot to mention, Gary Balance. Gary Balance hit a half century when it was all falling apart for Yorkshire. Uh, York, Yorkshire were, were 90 for eight at one point and, and Balance had more than 50 runs. Balance yet again, averages more than 50 in the county championship this year. Um, so he's doing what he's always done. Um, and a reminder that finals day is this Saturday. Four Southern teams there. It's Hampshire versus Somerset and Kent versus Sussex. Did any of you guys predict any of those four to win?
3: Did we do predictions for this one? I can't remember. Someone would have predicted we Sussex, wouldn't we? I always yeah. predict Sussex every year. <laughs> uh, Kent have rested loads of players for app, yeah, mate, they, from, they, from the county Championship. They
0: rested Darren Stevens um, in this round of games. Fair enough that he's arrested, yeah. he needs a rest. He doesn't want a rest though, does he? If he stops, he might not be able to start again. That's true. That's keep, true. keep him going. That's true. Uh, moving on. the uh, In the Rachel Hayhoe Flint Trophy, Georgia Elwes scored. And I'm beating 112 yesterday to help the Vipers to the second highest total of the summer. Um, it was an amazing game, actually, because the Vipers scored 309. and They ended up winning by just one run. Fran Wilson's 51 ball, 65 run out, wasn't quite enough for her side. Elwes, after scoring that 100, defended nine off the last over of the game. Um, there are three runaway sides at the top of the table. The Northern Diamonds, the Vipers and the Central Sparks all have five wins from six. Moving on to the international game. Afghanistan's proposed tests against Australia this winter is in doubt. Last week, Cricket Australia released a statement saying if recent media reports that women's cricket will not be supported in Afghanistan are substantiated, Cricket Australia would have no alternative but to not host Afghanistan for the proposed test match due to be played in Hobart. In response, the Afghanistan Cricket Board released a statement saying since the ACB joined the ICC and through our fast growth through affiliate associate and to full membership, the ICC has been aware of our cultural and religious environment and It has taken a balanced, diplomatic, sensitive and considerate approach as we have worked to develop every aspect of the game of cricket in our country, despite the situations we have faced. We believe that the ICC has had the forethoughts thoughts to recognise and accept that we have been doing all we can to go cricket in the traditional, cultural, religious and challenging political environment of our country. The alternative to cancellation of the test match would be for CA to take the same approach as the ICC. A considered balanced cricket diplomacy would be far more productive for Afghanistan and for cricket than a sudden knee jerk reaction. Cricket Australia needs to know that the comments of the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan spokesperson regarding women's participation in cricket are not substantially different to the ACB's cultural and religious environment during the democratically elected Karzai and Ghani governments of the last 20 years. We believe that the ICC is fully aware of this, although it seems that Cricket Australia is not. I mean, it's not a very straightforward situation at all. Not Um, an easy pod, this one, is it? No, it's not. It's not. No. Um, But we're going to get to the Canberra mancads in a bit. So that'll that'll restore some balance. I've got a good bit of mancad chat. That'll be (laughs) uncontroversial. There's a very, very good video of Australian cricket writer Gideon Haig arguing that cricket has more influence if it retains a link with Afghanistan cricket. He's also quite critical of the ICC in that they're basically... Um, an events management body that is ill-equipped to make decisions as serious as, as this, but I completely see the merits of both points of view. It's very, very complicated. Yeah, it's,
4: it's it is so tough. I mean, my natural inclination is is that that they should be allowed to continue to play because I, we've seen the players emerge. It's one of the what is cricket's greatest story of the last twenty years, probably, and for that to just suddenly disappear doesn't bear thinking about but then we have seen in the past i mean you look back at apartheid south africa uh players have had to effectively sacrifice part of their careers their international careers in order for the greater good the problem there i think sporting boycotts actually uh, hurt south africa i mean that that the south african government want to be playing international sport against these other countries i'm not sure by boycotting afghanistan cricket that's gonna hurt the taliban i don't i don't think they in the slightest. so I don't, I'm not really sure that is going to do anything proactively good. That still doesn't necessarily mean that you should just kind of line up and play them though. That is also problematic. I think it's interesting the ICC, I think they're not meeting until, is it halfway through October or even November to discuss this? Yeah. So it's after the T20 World Cup has started. So it, it seems very likely unless anything changes, which it obviously is a changing situation, that Afghanistan will be in that T20 World Cup and it would, it would feel harsh in the extreme to strip them of that right at short such short notice at this point. Um uh, so my view would be get through that World Cup, um, let them play, and then I guess try and figure it out out from there. But I think I in principle I, I agree with Gideon Hayes' point that you're you're better off engaging with Afghanistan cricket than just letting it wither and die.
0: Moving on. Joe, what's your moment of the week?
4: Uh well obviously it was at Selhurst Park on Saturday afternoon, <laughs> but I presume you want something, <laughs> something to related cricket. to cricket. Yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. Um it was on the way into work this morning, listening to Mikey Holdings' Desert Island Discs, um, which was... I've still got two songs to go, actually, but it's uh, been absolutely joyous so far. It's lovely hearing him and Lauren Laverne talking. Two of the great accents. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and also two people that I listen to so much, that its but you never think you'd hear them talking together. It's like when you kind of introduce two friends
1: from different groups, and then you see, see them getting on in the pub, and it's no, just... It's this nice. is really weird. Can I, yeah. can I ask, before you get onto the songs, and I want to know... Um, has lauren got much sensibility for the game
4: i think she has or she put it on really well she she talked about watching him watching videos of him obviously in her research for the show and seeing him come in off his long run and that she definitely if she didn't have a feel for it she gave a really good impression that she that she did that's lovely uh, and they they absolutely got on you could absolutely tell that so it was uh, i'd heartily recommend it but what struck me and this was news to me others might have heard this, but that this is his last year as a as a commentator, Michael Holding. she said that at the start very casually. I did not know that. Um mm. I think maybe she's kind of jumped the gun, perhaps, there. Or that's but that does I've spoken to another couple of people since who were expecting that, which I guess would mean he's done his last test match in England, which would mm. be a, a very sad way for it all to uh to finish. But anyway, the the Desert Island Disc is I I mean, I I I'm sure a lot of our listeners would have already listened to it. But um absolutely worth a listen so yeah there's there's what's uh the
1: standout um
4: well marvin gay what's going on nice We've got bob marley war you know the song where it's basically the lyrics from yeah. Hines yeah, bo- bo- both,
1: both politically engaged tunes of course
4: yeah um diane warwick don't make me over which he I don't, I don't know if i know that no one. i don't i i kind of recognize the song but i didn't know it by by title um uh yeah and he and he tells i mean he tells stories that a lot of cricket fans will have will have already heard um particularly last summer and the 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 kind of impromptu speech um but there's a lot of lighter stuff in there as well and yeah it's just it's just a joy listening to the two of them chatting away
0: Mm. it's really sad if he's not going to commentate yeah and as i mean
4: it it, it was said on the show so i I assume it is true but that there's certainly been no kind of fanfare around Mm. it so far so um hopefully i mean he's not i can't imagine him Going around the outfield like Henry Blofeld did a few <laughs> years ago. I, I don't think that's really his style anyway, but he certainly deserves a, a proper send off if that is to be the end of his commentary
0: over here. Mm, absolutely. Um, Phil, what's your moment of the week? You tell me, yes. Well, I was coming into bowl. Uh, I think it was my fifth over, last ball of my fifth over. <laughs> yeah, hold down, on, hold that's on. Down <laughs> down, that's done my <laughs> game, it is.
1: We got to set, set the scene. <laughs> So, this is, this was a Wisdom 11, select 11, in as much as we managed to get 11 people on the, on the field. Which we did. Which we did. Uh, against the, a select 11 of under 15s from the MCC Foundation, uh, hubs. Hubs being these hubs set up around the country, of which there's 60 odd, I think. And this was the Southeast region. And they are set up for state school kids, uh, who show real promise and talent in the game to try and develop their game with, professional coaching so it's a really great scheme we played against them on thursday last week at hampton wick royale cc um take it away
0: well first of all they were brilliant they were they were so good every every single bowler they had was so skillful (laughs) uh i couldn't believe how pretty much all of them had multiple slower ball variations and they all worked and their batsmen uh we we only saw five of them uh they, they all looked class um and yeah, they absolutely thumped us um, however 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 uh <laughs> the last ball of my fifth over with the new ball we were playing with a pink ball uh just back for length moved away a little bit drew out drew the outside edge um and Phil at first slip took a diving catch but diving catch forward which i think is uh less eye catching but probably more impressive than the, the more instinctive one where you where you go out wide um that was my moment of the week and probably yours too <laughs> yeah. moment of the year Joe?
4: special moment well i was going to say as well um that so it was a 40 over game so you would expect your bowlers to get eight eight a piece yaz has gone through his first seven uh, off the reel ready to come on for his eighth and then it emerges that the rules have actually been set phil wasn't listening at the toss as our captain That <laughs> um that you only had seven overs per bowler and i mean if you listen to this regular you, you'll know yaz is a, is a nice mild-mannered man at the most times not but, then not then, he was furious, still remonstrating with the umpire, even after the <laughs> drinks break, trying to get that
1: over.
0: No, I was just clarifying if it was uh, seven overs in a row or pointedly seven overs, clarifying, overs overall, yeah. 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 Um, well, anyway, it was it was a really, really fun day out. It was,
1: and, you know, in amongst all the all the nonsense of the last few weeks, the sort of head-spinning nonsense, um, there was something quite magical I felt, felt about that afternoon, you know, seeing the next generation come through, play us off the park, uh... But yeah, they know the game inside out as well. These lads and and yeah, it was a rare kind of moment of poetry in a very sort of prose-heavy month. I would mm.
0: say um, Phil was run out on 49. Uh, very much not his fault at all. Um, Ian Sykes calling through for a single, never a single on ball bounce, very comfortably into the short cover's hand and run out by not quite. Not what we season. needed at that point. Not, as well, absolutely not. After being reduced not. to <laughs> 24 for five, <laughs> yeah. I think at one stage. <laughs> Anyway, anyway. That was good fun. Um, bit, of, <laughs> bit of good fun elsewhere. Ben, do you want to explain um, what happened in the Cameroon game yesterday?
3: Uh, yes. So this was in the uh, the ICC regional uh, women's Africa T20 qualifier. So uh, Cameroon were actually making their debut in the T20i format against uh, Uganda. They actually they had their debut delayed slightly by, I think, possibly a, a COVID scare, maybe. Or they were waiting for some tests to come back. But their, their first game had been pushed back. And they are, they made quite the announcement. So, uh, M- M- Duma, or uh, MF Duma, if you go by her uh, initials, uh, sixteen years old according to Crick Info, uh, effected four uh, runouts of the backing up non-striker in the same innings. Uh, so, two in the sixteenth over, I think, and then two in the twentieth over. Mancads, if you're uh, not familiar with that description, uh, which is was just was just remarkable. There, there was a, uh, I think the, the best was the umpire's reaction to the third. Because there was sort of like a little shrugged raise of the hands uh, just before raising his finger, sort of like, cut, cut, like a bit of like, almost like this is this sort of isn't on, but also like really what what is the third batter doing at that point, <laughs> <laughs> having seen the first two players be mancated to then also be like yeah I don't really need to worry about this backup because it's not like they were sprinting out of their crease, they were just sort of like. The, the Uganda batters were just had their bats sort of kind of lazily trading behind them and then were, were, were utterly caught out. And then uh, Uganda are a, a pretty decent side at that level. Uh, they've been at the the uh, global qualifiers before, have come not too far from a, from qualifying uh, for the main thing. Uh, so they weren't quite comfortable and uh, Maeva Duma was eventually part of a hat-trick herself. So.
4: I enjoyed the, uh, I think it was the fourth one actually, the fourth of them. Uh, as a fielder sprinted over and they did chest bumps yes, after, the after celebrations. The <laughs> yeah, amazing. Yeah. <laughs>
0: well, they said there were there were hearty celebrations after every single wicket. Yeah, and why not? I mean, it's
3: it's a, it's, a, it's valuable scalps. Uh, I feel like there are two little bits that could easily have been your moments of the week, but obviously, uh, uh, getting out a 14-year-old is much more important. Uh, Rashid Khan stepped down as Afghanistan's. T20i captain 22 minutes after their squad was announced for the T20 World Cup, mm. confirming him as their captain. So he saw that come out, watched an episode of Friends, and then uh, <laughs> and then he's, yeah, he wasn't consulted apparently about the choice of squad, which is why I wasn't happy. And Brendan Taylor has uh, retired. Uh, he's playing his last ODI as we speak. I read that One this of morning. Yeah. Greatest ever and Ryan
1: Tendershata too.
0: Yes. yes. Yes.
1: Who announced his retirement yesterday. Uh, hopefully, I'll be talking to him at Chelmsford next week. One of the great county careers, really. I was going to say we should get him on the show. Should, yeah, yeah. yeah. A few words on from him for next week. And he's, um,
0: he's, in, he's involved in... He's, he's, he's part of Netherlands's T20 World Cup squad as well at the age of 41, which is very cool. Which yep. is a pretty good way to... One try. of the all-time greats. Um, I thought you were going to mention uh, the, the dog incident oh, in, in the, in yeah, the All-Ireland uh, Women's Cup semi-final where a dog ran onto the field uh, and took the ball basically, and it's, it's all, all on video and you've got the dog owner who looks like a teenager chasing the dog <laughs> and the dog goes to the batter and the batter then just gets on her knees and starts stroking the dog, which is very nice. Um, That's you, lovely. You can find that on, on the internet.
1: i tell you what, from Josh Bahanan onwards, this was really, you know, really <laughs> lightened <laughs> <Yeah>, up <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> uh,
0: and then one bit of news from the international game that we haven't touched on yet. is South Africa and Sri Lanka are currently going through a T20i series in Sri Lanka. Um, South Africa 2-0 two two up. Keshav Maharaj has captain South Africa in both games, having never played a T20I before. The George um, Bailey. Yeah. yeah, the George Bailey. Uh, Markham's having a pretty good series with bat and ball. Actually, scored 48 in the first game and took a 3 for in the second. And Maharaj took a wicket with his first ball,
3: I think. Did he? So his first ball of his career as captain, and he takes wicket. Who writes his scripts. Yeah.
0: Am- <laughs> absolutely. Um, Joe, as mentioned earlier, there's a new Wizarding Cricket Monthly out this week. What do people have to look forward to?
4: Yes, as mentioned before, Liam Livingston is the is the cover story. Uh, even if Phil didn't want it, so uh, <laughs> hey, hey. You're supposed
0: to be selling it. Come on,
4: <laughs> no, I think I think Phil would come to come to agree by the end of it all. Um, but that's that's the that's the cover story. Um, what else have we also got? Uh, Taha did a really good piece looking uh, at the kind of history of England selectors, England national selectors, uh, also with an eye on the fact that they've abolished the role and Chris Silverwood's doing the whole the whole job so he spoke to Jeff Miller, McNewell, Angus Fraser about some of the the players they identified immediately as someone they had to pick Ian Bell, James Anderson popped up unsurprisingly uh, and also Newell kind of calls into question the modern way uh, thinks there's too much on Silverwood's shoulders which I think from discussions we've had amongst ourselves most of us would agree with that too um, we have got
1: Javid Miandad's Cricket Life brilliant interview with one of the great one of the all-timers um, so that's that's well worth picking up as well But done by Saj Sadiq yeah I interviewed Lisa Kightley, uh, England women head coach about a kind of
4: tricky so it's almost two years since she took the job but obviously it's not she did actually admit uh, if she knew Covid was around the corner she might not have taken this job but she does still sp- seem to be enjoying it despite that um, and she speaks quite kind of forcefully about the women's 100 and she thinks she basically said she thinks England are, are pretty much caught up with Australia now which uh, was one of the main reasons she took the job in the first place she saw that uh, gap starting to to
1: narrow uh, Phil um, Andy Zoltzman tells you all about the number 99 Andrew Miller tells you all about why English cricket stuck back in the 1990s Lizzie Ammon tells you all about the championship restructuring for next year and Lawrence Booth tells you what Yorkshire's muted response to those allegations amounts to. While I actually got angry with um with Tom Harrison and his his cohort at the top of the ECB for for that 2.1 million bonus that they've appeared to have awarded themselves um in the midst of a game going through a pandemic and financially on its knees. Mm. Uh that makes me feel pretty uncomfortable. So so yeah. Even I was moved to to Anger this month, believe it or not. Uh, And on
4: the county side of things, got the county files. So all 18 counties covered, plus Tanya Aldred has gone and uh, looked back at Lancashire's 2011 County Championship win uh, on its 10th anniversary, speaking to Chapel, Simon Kerrigan uh, about the kind of weirdness of that year, because you might remember that Old Trafford wasn't available to them because they were switching Mm. the the pitch rounds. So they were playing most of their home games at, at Liverpool um and just memories of, of that year after so many years of expecting to win it this year where no one really kind of thought they had a chance and then finally this young
1: team of homegrown products pulled it off hmm. and there's more lancashire for you just to yeah just to round <laughs> things up and finally finally ted dexter as well i'd do my best to try and uh yeah send him off as best i could one of the all-time greats and mm. like i to... managed to interview a few months yeah. ago um he was still getting stuff done, even into his final months. Released a book in October last year, which was really well received. Uh, there are some lives that are barely comprehensible for the the vastness of it. And and Lord Ted's was one of them. So I did mm. my best to try and capture some of that essence as well.
0: Um, as always, you can get the the magazine at com forward slash shop. Um, just before we finish, a thought about uh, Miller's piece comparing England to England in the 90s. Uh, Yesterday, Sky was showing uh, part of the, the Fletcher Years documentary and Duncan Fletcher was asked about the England team that he inherited. And I don't think he said this without much thought. He said that he'd really thought about the England team that he was taking over. And he said he thought England should easily have been the number one side in the world in the 90s which was quite interesting and he kind of listed all the players and said how how could you not be with, with this group of players and he said it was down to poor management which I thought was quite interesting given that he inherited a team that was rock bottom
1: yeah and then turned them into a really good one I mean yes. I think there's a, there's an element of look what I did here folks <laughs> yeah I think maybe Warren and McGrath may have had one or two things to say about that yes. but yeah yeah. yeah, certainly they should have done better.
0: <laughs> I'd recommend the the Fletchies. I think they can, are brilliant. I think, you can, really, really I think brilliant. you can watch it on the Sky Sports website or Sky Go. One of the two. Yeah. Anyway, that's all we have time for in today's show. Cheers, Phil. Cheers, Joe. Cheers, Ben. This has been the and Cricket Weekly Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, tell your friends, and we'll be back next week. Oh.
2: Podcast Network.